Greetings everyone and welcome to the 126th edition of Cinema Effect. I'm Zach and I'm joined by Hans Beckett, oh, aka Fitzy, aka Liam. Oh, hi. Wait, what'd you say? Well, I didn't even know you started. I couldn't hear you guys. <laughs> oh, okay. I think totally like, I literally just heard you speak when you just introduced me. Wait, what'd oh. you introduce me as? I said you're Hans. Oh, damn it. You didn't hear it. Hans Beckett. Yeah, I said that. Hey. There you Did go. you see that one coming? Hmm. And he inspired me in the Discord, so that's what happened. Yeah, I just deleted his message. I mean, it disappeared, did you really? sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it disappeared. Is that, please tell me that's the first time you've done that. Or actually, tell me it's not. I dare you. Actually, that was another time, but we won't go into that. Okay, all right, all right. Damn, precedent though. And we've also got Jaden here. Oh, shit, hang on, I forgot the nickname. <laughs> you see someone hating <laughs> Jaden? <laughs> Dude, I literally don't know like what you've been guys have been saying for the last minute. I, I just forgot to say Jaden's nickname because I feel like we've been doing the episode for the last forty minutes anyway. Yeah. So I was just like, I was just you know a bit off with it today, but you know, it's all good. It's all good. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Cinema Effect, the podcast where we review and talk about a different movie every single Monday. Just the reminder that I bring up once every six months. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Probably some other podcast apps that I don't know about because it gets uploaded places automatically I don't know about. So subscribe on all those places, all those apps, and uh, yeah, leave us a five-star rating, you pussy. All right, anyway, this week we're reviewing a film called M, as in the letter M, as you can see in the title, which opened in Germany on the 11th of May, 1931. It was directed by Fritz Lang. It is a crime thriller, and the synopsis says... When the police in a German city are unable to catch a child murderer, other criminals join in the manhunt. Sick, sick. Jaden, I'll let you I'll let you take it away, if you don't mind. What do you think of M? Uh yeah, it's pretty decent. Um I, I left watching this till last minute. Very much how I leave my projects last minute. Um so I was doing I started it last night, fell asleep, um, and I finished it this morning, so Probably not the best viewing experience, and it's probably hindered my perception of the film. Um, that sounds like a Zach viewing experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like I think it was decent. Like I think it's like like I fell asleep like at, at the about an hour twenty mark, like when they when they when they're going to siege the building and find old Hans. Mm. Um, so it's actually like a, it, it's an okay time to break because I mean, like I know. It's, it's kind of there's a distinction between before that and after that because after that is mostly just the trial, um, so it wasn't too yeah. Bad, but um, yeah, no, it was, it was pretty decent. Yeah. Cool, cool. Fitzy, what about you? It was super boring. I don't know. Um, I kind of see how it's like impressive in terms of like how well it does like the basics kind of. Um, it feels like it kind of. A very like well storyboarded film or some shit. Like every every like scene has like a purpose, I guess. But I just felt like like the um like the the society freaking out, all that stuff, and all the stuff like about the freakouts about the matter was really goofy and dull. Um, and then kind of when it got to the them chasing him, it was kind of. I don't know, like, the, them finding him was super basic as well. Like, you know, they just, like, opened doors and shit. Um, and it wasn't very tense. Um, but the, <clears throat> Sorry, I'm a bit sick. But, and then 
yeah, the trial at the end was pretty cool. I thought that was pretty good. But other than that, it was it was just super boring. I felt yeah. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't really want to discuss the film in terms of my experience watching it as much because, I mean, I, I totally agree in the lack of tension. By the way, like, I was just watching this film and I don't know. I'm like, because I'm a dumbass entitled viewer of modern media. I was like, wow, this audio is terrible. <laughs> you know. And but like then I do some research afterward, and it's like this film is heralded for um you know its revolutionary use of audio in cinema. I'm like oh well cool, uh, so you know that's sort of the the lens uh, that's worth throwing out there that I'm viewing this through. Um, but I don't know yeah. So so with that in mind, like yeah, I found it fairly boring as well. Like uh, yeah, I, I was mostly engaged. Really, the only time I would say the, this film really hooked me was the trial at the end. I was actually found myself quite invested at that point yeah i don't know like for me what's way more interesting for me to frame this conversation around and do justice to the film is um some of the historical context surrounding it. and i was trying to learn a bit more about that before we started but um that was really where my main level of enjoyment with it was because i was viewing it less as a film into like how i'd normally watch a film and more as like i was trying to view a piece of history and thinking about it mm. that way you know um so i, I sort of enjoyed it in that sense, I guess, in that very specific way. Yeah. Well, I think I tried to look at that at it from, at it from, oh, fuck. I tried to look at it from that way too. And like in terms of its like purity, I think it's a really great film, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely feels both that it's a well-constructed film and that it's a film from a long, long time ago. Like, yeah, 100%. It's impressive. Uh, it's an impressive film, yeah. Uh, that's what I find wild about it. Like when was the jane you probably know hopefully like when was the transition from the because i know this was fritz's first film with sound or with um mm. i don't know a t- the first talkie that he made i guess um because when was that transition because his previous film was metropolis in i think 1928 so within that three-year difference was that mainly when it was like 1930 sort of onwards to your knowledge or um I want to say that 1927 was the first talkie in America. I think it was called The Jazz Singer. I oh, think that's okay. What, I think that's what we were told. Um, can't remember exactly. But, um, you know, Germany was a lot economically poorer back then than the Yankees. So, like, it probably did take a few years for them to get sound technology. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I thought the audio was actually quite all right, considering the age. Well, yeah, um, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I was so. What is the difference between like a talkie and a silent film? Because silent films still had music, right? Like it wasn't like the there was no sound in them. Yeah. So like with Metropolis, it is just like someone, you know, it's just putting a score over the film. And the way that would they would do that back when they were showing the film in cinemas back then is that they'd have a live person playing the music. They'd have a live oh, person playing okay. like the piano and stuff. Like you know, in the, you know, in the Watchmen TV show. In like the flashbacks to Tulsa, like in the in the like the early days, like um the the main character, like the kid's mum, his her jo- her profession was playing the piano at the cinemas. So like that's what like people did, like to kind of have that sound during the silent era of like just you know just having the school. Right. Whereas now, talkies, you're actually recording sound, and then putting it over like the track, so you can export it, like you know, not export it, like, you know, you can export yeah, yeah, yeah. the product, <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's really interesting. So then if you're watching, say, one of these older um, silent films now, 
you're watching it like they've, I guess, since in these restorations they've done at various points, they've gone back and like basically, because I assume like they, yeah, when you're watching it in the theater, they, the score is like that you play the same score every time the musician in the room, but they've yeah, just gone I'm back pre- and like done that in post and made it as part of the actual thing. Yeah, I think um, I think there, there I think I think there was variations in like the score just across because depending on like the quality of the player and like what they're able to do and stuff, mm. there would have been variations from you know, cinema to cinema, but like the director definitely had, you know, a choice and this is what I wanted to do. And like, that's what they tried to restore it with, I guess. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. I never really thought about the, that. The, the, the Metropolis version I have, it does mention, cause like the Metropolis I have is a reconstructed version. And I think it says that there's a different score to like the top, the, than the usual version of it. So yeah. Oh, Okay. So yeah, I get the sound for me in this film. Like, it was my main takeaway, of course. Like, yeah, totally worth bearing in mind. Like, this is one of the first films with with sound. Like, one of the first. Like, how crazy it must have been to go to the theater and like, oh my god, there's like speakers playing shit as I'm watching this, and people can speak in this movie. Like, how wild that must have been at the time. So that's totally worth bearing in mind. But for me, like, as a modern viewer, like, music and score and sound is such an important part of tension building that, you know, all of the conventions of what I'm used to of how that is generated and created by, you know, filmmakers, it just doesn't exist yet. So, like, those conventions of filmmaking don't exist. So, like, watching this film, I'm sort of just, like, the whole time thinking something's just missing from it. You know, I felt like a core component of my investment just wasn't there as a result of that. Like, you know, the scene where the sequence where they're trying to chase him through the building or find, locate him or whatever, like the whole time I'm just thinking, wow, it's just really quiet. And I'm just sort of like looking away and I don't know, looking at, looking at my watch and like, and that's just because of the sound, but yeah, it, it, it was, it was very weird. It was a very bizarre experience, honestly, but yeah, good for them, I guess. Like, was there actually, I don't recall any moments of significant score in the film at all, but am I wrong? No, no I, I was trying to think of that as well. I don't think there is. Yeah. I think, um, the fact that there's no folly is probably like the most disorientating thing as well. So is there not? No, there's no folly at all. Um, Interesting. It's only like the only, I think the only audio you hear is the voices. And I think there might've been occasionally a score, although I can't really re- recall it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, spe- it, cause it, it does feel like Andy, Andy wrote a very long review that I've read. And I'm, he, he's told me not to read the whole thing. I appreciate that, Andy. But he brought up some really interesting points, and he brought up that he thought maybe in the audio restoration, like um, he felt the same thing and thought like maybe chunks of it were missing or like they ha- they couldn't be restored or something because that that is sort of what it felt like. There were moments of sort of like just nothing to hear at all. Like there were moments where I thought, oh, my headphones have uh, <laughs> like yeah. disconnected or something, but um, that that was never the case. But then there were some moments. That's why I was curious about the folly because there were some moments where. There were there was sound of things, people moving things, and um, like uh, there was a scene where characters were running down the stairs, and the sound you can hear that. And I'm like running down the stairs. Oh, was it? So, oh, yeah, there was for sure. Oh, I so, might be getting two things. Okay, but but it was just it was. I was thinking about that because I was like, it's clear that there's a lack of foley overall. But I, I was trying to figure out like, does that mean the sound that is here is just sound? like picked up on set but that doesn't make any sense does it like no yeah 
I don't think so. So it is like some things were designed, but not others. And then I was then I got into thinking like, is this is it a um, what was the film we did? Um, Good, the bad, and the ugly situation. Like, is everything dubbed? All the dialogue? Yeah, all the dialogue stuff in that. Yeah. So, do, were they recording dialogue on set at this time? I would sort of assume not. Leona is kind of famous for not recording on the set, I don't think. Oh, okay. Um, I think there okay. was productions that did it, but for, like, he personally didn't do it. Like, he always went back to the studio. Okay, because, um, I see. Because I see. his productions involved, like, people a lot from, like, you know, Italy, US, France, you know, um, whatever. Yeah. Like, because they're all speaking different languages sometimes. Like, there's no... You know, like they're speaking their own language and then they just get someone else to dub it, you know? Oh, that's wild. <laughs> it's just, you don't even know like exactly what they're saying on set, but just like, yeah. oh, who cares? He's speaking. We'll just make him say whatever we want later. If there was truly no sound recorded on set, like every sound you hear is designed after the fact. And that means that like the limited folly we sort of get sometimes, like I think that when characters sometimes are shifting things around on desks and things, there is some. So it's it's almost like weird to think back to an audio sound designer at the time and like what they chose to include and not include because there's so much of it that's just dead noise that like you think there should definitely I should be hearing something here but then other times there's not and there is and it's like well, it's did just you read bizarre the for the film I read some yeah because in the trivia noise? they mention how like sound recording equipment was, like, stripped expensive. So, like, they only hired out for two-thirds worth of the film. So, like, like the – and, like, but like huh. so, they, so it became an intentional thing of, to, like, leave portions of, of utter silence just because, like, one, they couldn't afford it, but two, because they couldn't afford it, it became a choice of, just, like, of you know, like a design choice because, like, you know, they chose where right. to do it. Right, right, right. That does – that explains the sort of inconsistency of it, I guess. It's so hard to talk about this. Like, it didn't, it didn't work for me at all. I guess is what I'm saying, but it's uh, bizarre and I can't even imagine like being the person who had to design this without, you know, you've got nothing to base this off, you know, like it's not like mm. anyone had any idea of how to properly design audio for a film at this time like because you were just doing it. You were the first dude doing it. I don't know. You're just giving it a crack. Um, but while I'm on the audio side of things, another sort of very revolutionary aspect of this film was the fact that Peter Law's character is introduced by the musical cue in the Hall of the Mountain King from Edward Griggs. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Pierre Gint's Suite Number One. It's the damn tune that everyone knows. Jan, do you want to do you want to care to do it for the audience? No. Oh, damn it. All right. Actually, I don't, I don't remember, remember it now. You watched the it this I don't remember it now either. But the thing is, because like uh, Apocalypse Now was fucking playing in the background last night, and like so, like the fucking theme of the Valkyries is like in my head. Was so, like when you say that. Ah. Oh. Like, like that's less like I'm like shit. Is that what I'm thinking of? Or I think of the other one. Um, what the hell yeah. is it? Oh, you, everyone knows it. Yeah, I'll find it. Dun 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 dun. Wait, no. No, yeah. You see, is, that, uh, is it that one? That's or is Right. Yeah, that's what, exactly. That's what, yeah. Um, I don't think it was that one, but it's. <laughs> oh, because it's in the social network as well. There was a version. Oh, yeah, it's. Is that it? Is that what he was doing? I think so. Well, that, okay. That's in the Hall of the Mountain King. So, if that's that, then that's that. I okay. Guess. 
Okay, okay, all right. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Yeah, everyone knows that tune. Anyway, this was one of the very first times that a musical theme was used to signify a character in a film. So th- this is a technique known as a light motif, uh, which was borrowed lay from motif. the world. Hey, isn't it lay motif? I've always had light motif, but I don't know. Really? You could be right. You could be right. Light motif. I, I mean, it is a foreign word. That's interesting. Uh, the word is borrowed from the world of opera. Uh, and it's now a staple of filmmaking. So the idea, it's essentially saying that the film invented the idea of a character having a theme associated with them, um, which is crazy, by the way. Like, like the fact that this is the first film, I, I just, I, I'm almost glad I watched the film just for that alone. Like the fact of, yeah, I've seen the first film that had a character theme in it. As somebody who loves character themes in schools and stuff, like that's awesome. I love that. So that was really interesting. But the interesting thing about it is the fact that it's always diegetic, right? Like it's always because the character's whistling it. Like what was the first film, for example, to like have a leitmotif non-diegetic, you know? Because I feel like it's a whole different ball game there. I think it would come pretty soon after this. I think there was, there was a kind of like a rapid evolution of sound and just film in those next few years. Because mm. mm. I think by the time Citizen Kane rolls around, which is 1942, I can definitely... I'm almost positive, like, uh, like the characters had their own themes in that. Really? It if is crazy to think how fast cinema evolved from this. Like, this was 1931, the first audio and film, and then, like... Your first audio and film. Oh, well, you know, close enough. And then, uh, <laughs> and then like, goddamn, um, you know, what 20 years later, like, a lot of the conventions of what we understand audio and and stuff to be in films was already well established. Like, you know, you watch films from the fifties and it's not like they're very recognizable today. Still, Wait, you watch films from the techniques. 50s? I've seen some. Uh, On the water three, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. It's probably three. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I just find that that evolution is, is, it was just so quick and is really those conventions still stick around today. Yeah. It's impressive when you think of, uh, like the Wizard of Oz's achievement being that it was like like the transition to color kind of not that it was the first film to do that but like how great the colors in that film was and that was in 1939 apparently so God it's that old yeah I thought it was 1941 but um yeah but within eight years like that's a crazy difference you know absolutely and like the Wizard of Oz like you think about the Fucking the sound and the characters and that. It's like amazing. Yeah. It's, it's I've such a rapid a transformation. Yeah. 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 For sure. Another thing to think about that I was thinking about anyway, was the fact that like this goddamn movie is 90 years old. And like, I, as I'm watching it, like I, I don't know. I'm one of those weird people where I'm watching it and I'm just can't help but constantly be thinking like of all the, implications of that like i'm just constantly thinking wow everyone i'm watching on screen is dead wow uh this was before world war ii you know wow this was before the nazis took control of this of this country like (laughs) i just get thinking all that shit constantly and it's i just found it fascinating for that alone like the fact of the sort of role it played as well with like i think oh yeah here we go sorry i've got the trivia in germany the nazis banned the movie uh, in july of 1934 not long after it came out so, like, that's how I just couldn't wrap my head around that for a little bit, you know. It's really interesting that his pre, not previous because he had he had one between, but like Metropolis, which he did a few years prior, 
it was loved by the Nazi party, or even though it was like a strict criticism of everything they, they, they stood for, but like, just like the way they, like the way that Goebbels like interpreted it was that like, it was like everything that, that they wanted to put in practice was kind of shown in Metropolis. And like, they just didn't see the criticism in it kind of. Um, so like, yeah, they, like, they, like they loved Metropolis, although it, like, it, yeah, it was very against it. <laughs> Isn't that funny how that's like the classic way that, most people would misinterpret a film's message. It's like I don't know what's like a the the most modern example. Well, it's the way that like Animal Farm was, like Animal Farm was banned in in the USSR and America because one thought it was criticizing capitalism, one thought it was criticizing communism. Mm-hmm. So like they both got banned. Although you know, yeah. Which one was it? For real? No, I mean it's just more about author- authoritarianism in general. Oh, okay. Okay. Fair. Oh, that's so... F- I-, I just find that shit hilarious. Oh, 1984, sorry. Not not Animal Farm. What am I fucking talking about? I'm glad you corrected yourself. I wasn't going to correct you. <laughs> no, no idea. Yeah. But it's just funny to think, like, like you know, people miss... We misinterpret films all the time. I misinterpret films all the time. It's just hilarious to think that, like, the Nazis misinterpreted the film. Like, as it, to that extent. Like, the, the most, like, important, like, scale of potential misinterpretation possible occurred for Metropolis. But I can't, like, why, why do you think the Nazis banned this film? That becomes from a point of view of, like, um, the Nazis banned a lot of things that didn't align with their values of, like, being a proper German. Um, so they had, like, this, uh, like, they were really keen on this whole, like, um, being, like, like, being a proper German citizen and, like, kind of, like, it's really, like, strong traditional kind of outlook. Like, a lot of contemporary, like, views, ideas, and products were banned. Like there was this architectural style coming out of Germany at the time, at the time called Bauhaus, and they banned that because it was too modern. And like, so it, it would be, it's one of those things where the film was not necessarily modern, but like it was too dark for themes that they want that 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 they wanted Germany to be known for. Okay, okay, I, I get that. Yeah, they don't really want like um, a child yeah, murdering film. The idea of child murderers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Running loose on the streets, the police are sort of in, half incompetent in it. Oh, no, they get there in the end, I guess. But, yeah, yeah, I understand that. Don't clip that. (laughs) Zach just said, I understand the Nazis. (laughs) Jesus. The images in the film were cool. I liked them. I thought it had a lot of atmosphere. Something else I read was that this film was very influential for noir as a genre. Um, and reading that after the fact, I thought was interesting because I can I, I can see that. Obviously, I don't really understand the context of how it was influential exactly, but like I was trying to piece it together sort of afterwards, and I, I could sort of see, yeah, it feels if it, it did feel creepy, it did feel um, atmospheric, especially mainly just the stuff for me was the stuff I liked the most was when we're just out on the streets in Berlin. Oh, sorry, I said I said Berlin in my notes, but that's not actually named the city, is it? When we're out on the streets of the city. I mean, it's a city of four um, million. Like, I don't think there's really any other city in Germany that has that population at the time. Oh, did they say there's four million people there? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, then, yes. Hopefully, it was Berlin. Everything out there on the streets, with you know, there's a lot of shadows, and I think that expression for me visually came through. The noir sort of stylings of it did come through, even though. So I was to say, even though it's black and white, even though black and white is like totally noir, but 
I don't know. For me, like I did find it striking at times, like the shot of the uh, goddamn Hans, you know, coming onto the his shadow coming onto his wanted poster was cool, and um, there were some other shots, like as the police were rounding people up about halfway through. A lot of these shots are like high up, like uh, the camera is quite high up, and the camera is always stationary in the film; it never really moves, and the shots are long. So it almost at times there's there's plenty yeah, of kind of like tracking shots. What do you want about? Mostly internally, right? Like mostly yeah, when you're in a room with dialogue. There was some. Um, no, I, th- I feel like I remember some 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 on the cityscape where like it kind of like tracked down a street. It wasn't much, but like there was. Oh really? I feel like there was, I feel like there was present. Unless I'm okay. No, you're, you're, you're probably again. you're probably right. The ones that really stood out to me, um, like at times, I sort of felt like the film didn't feel very kinetic because of when it was made. Like I sort of felt like I was watching a slideshow, not in a bad way. Like there were a lot of like very well staged, very well blocked shots with lots of actors and lots of stuff happening on screen, like with these large sets. That was cool, but the camera was just like I don't know. It felt like the camera was just like two stories up and just looking down at everything and it was like the shot mm. went for like 10 seconds. Like I feel like there was a lot of that, um, which was impressive scale-wise, but um, yeah, yeah, it sort of created its own rhythm to it, I think, yeah. Well, now that I think about it, like I was expecting this film to be Citizen Kane, but like Citizen Kane is Citizen Kane. Like Citizen Kane is, from my understanding, like the, one of the first films to kind of like actually fully utilise like the potentials of like camera techniques and like cinematography and all mm-hmm. these things. And I was expecting this film to kind of like be innovative in that way, but I guess Citizen Kane is just that movie that did that. And after that point, it was more basic shit. Like I agree with you. Like this film is super stable. There's no like cool. There's not many like cool close-ups or moments mm-hmm. that like shock you or anything like that. And in terms of in terms of those things, so. Yeah, I think it's just supposed to be impressive for, for yeah, other matters. I guess I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's um. I think you're right. Important to acknowledge the fact that like, at this point, the background of most of these creatives would be in theater and like kind of stage production, and even for these actors, like that's why like for for a long time like like people would call it overacting now, but like these kind of like, and I think you could definitely say it. And I did in my notes, by the way. Yeah, like it's 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 sure it is overacting, but it, it's because like I think a lot of these people are, are trained to do that for the stage because you know on the stage you need to perform to the back row, and the way you do that is through making everything a little bit more kind of you know erratic, grander, you know whatever kind of you know accounting for that. So I think you know uh, I think a lot of the acting in this is just you know if, if you call if you if you want to call it overacting it's 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 subscribed to that but also in the way that you tell a story is you know you're telling a story for a for, for a stage of a lot a lot of times um so that i think that's why like it's so static in terms of if you know in terms of camera and just like kind of sit like the way that things are blocked yeah yeah that makes sense i feel that because i've he- i've heard that about citizen kane about how it was you know created these different like i don't know like zooms and dolly shots and all this sort of shit that like it basically did for the first time um but yeah i feel like if i had watched i feel like i'm going to appreciate citizen kane more now that i've watched this first like i feel like if i just watched citizen mm, kane yeah like i'd be like oh yeah whatever but now that i understood what came before and that's going to help because this film 
it, it has cool imagery, 100%. Like there are some standout shots that I already mentioned, but um, it's it's cool images, but there, it, there's nothing technically like going on in them, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. because like you don't even realise, like if you just watch Susan Kane as kind of like the oldest or second oldest film you've seen, like you don't realise how much shit is going into it that has, doesn't exist yet, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I think this film like actually like gave me more, more appreciation of films that come after it in this era. Like, yeah, yeah. Thing is, I still don't yeah. think. I think it, it. I think it's gonna be difficult to find a film of this era for you to let that you'd like. I, I don't think. I still don't think you'd like Citizen Kane, Zach. I think you would need something a bit more actiony. So like that's why like All Quiet on the Western Front. I think is would honestly be a good film for you because it is. It is. It's kinetic. It's exciting. It is a great story, great character. It, like it, it feels like a modern film, but from that time period. Whereas I think a lot of other, I, I think even Citizen Kane, you feel the time period it was made in. Whereas, whereas All Quiet on the Western Front can be very easily uh, translated into uh, modern day. I disagree, but you, like, Citizen Kane feels ex- extremely modern, but it it, it, really, it in terms of the way it's made, yeah. But the story, the man, ah. Dude, the story is really game. complex. Think, like the way it's told is really complex, as well. But I think what it's talking about isn't modern, and I think that's gonna. I think that's gonna, you know, take a lot of people out of it. You know, like two media moguls, and uh, like the thing is, the story is interesting. So. Uh, like, well, don't get don't get me wrong. I think it's I think it's a fantastic film, but I just I don't think that Citizen Kane has a mass appeal that some other films from this period do. I think that people. I think it's easy to feel the feel the period that Citizen Kane was made in. Jan, you already brought it up a little bit. How, how do you feel about Peter Lord's performance? Because I feel like you were, you're you're not on the overacting side. No, I think his performance was fantastic, genuinely, especially that trial. Mm-hmm. Like I think, like mm-hmm. we've all acknowledged that the trial is probably like the best part of the film, mm-hmm. but I think it is generally like just a top moment in film. Um, I think he he does so well in this. Um, uh, he's just. It's it's just so like fascinating seeing a dialogue he delivers here is so perfect and like just it, like people have echoed this type of thing in products you know fucking from you know for the uh, for the next ninety years and I still I think that that kind of his his version of the voice has made me do it is so much better than everything else I've seen that says <laughs> the voice has made me do it. That's a good point. Uh, I'm glad like, you brought that specific line up. Yeah. Like it's yeah it's I, I, like um there was this British guy that was acting at the same time and he 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 reminds me a lot of that guy I can't remember I can't remember the British guy's name but like there's there's um there's I f- I f- there's a lot of similarities in like the kind of like kind of performance here um uh, I, yeah I thought I thought it was great I, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because the first thing that struck me was you know when he started going I you know I can't help it the voices in my head all that sort of shit like like oh yeah I've seen this before. But then that's the part of me that's got to go back. I'm like, hang on, no, dude, this was made in 1930. Like, everything's copying this. Like, that's what I've got to sort of go back to. And with that in mind, I, that's a really good point. I did think that part was good. Um, I, I liked Peter Law in the film. I did. I, I, I think I liked him more um, as he was sort of just creeping around the street as he thought he was getting away with it. Like, I thought he had a nice moment um, when he – it was like a cafe or whatever it was when he sat down for a second. Um so like no, I I really liked him. I definitely thought it was overacting by my standards, but 
again, not really a fair to use that as a criticism because I think you're totally right about what you said earlier about, you know, the theatre stuff, Shannon. Um, so it was overacting like in terms of what I'm used to, but I thought it, I thought he was good. Um, but I don't know, at the same time, like, like would you say that it was even a bit over the top compared to his castmates in the film? Like the dude, the leader of the other gang, I don't know who he is, but um, like I thought he was quite, Subtle. Yeah, um, fair point. But did you read in the trivia about Peter Law's background in acting? No. So he oh, was a sorry, comedic. Co- he's comedic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like, this right. is the equivalent of casting Adam Sandler as a serial killer, right? Um, <laughs> so, like, you know, I think, like, cool. that, like uh, fair enough. Like, yeah, I, he, his performance is a bit overacted, you know, compared to his his, his, his mates, perhaps. But, um, you know, I think that's just him bringing his background into it again, you know, just like. Yeah. Just, you know, just trying to do it. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, what'd you, yeah. What do you think, Fitzy? No, that was great. I thought that, like, it was easily, whenever it was on screen, I was like the most entertaining parts of the film. Like, his reactions to, like, being followed and chased and stuff are great as well. That's literally, like, the letterbox, like, uh, not the poster, but the thing on the top. You know, when you go to, like, a film and there's, the like, banner? a thing on the top of it. Yeah, better. Yeah. It's like his eyes or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, I liked a review that said something like that, yeah. Yeah, so I think he's really, he brings something to it that's really entertaining, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I did like a lot when he was, every time he was, um, well, I think you're right what you said earlier, Fitzy, about him, like sneaking around the building and stuff wasn't that engrossing necessarily, but I did like, the little acting moments he had of like every time he thought he was about to be caught and like as they were like when he's sitting crouched in the room amongst all the clutter in the room and they're coming past you know the door and every time he thinks he's about to be caught like I thought he was quite entertaining yeah everyone else is a bit too like dull to watch until maybe the courtroom scene not the courtroom scene I mean the under the tunnel scene or whatever you want to call it where like the subtlety of that that leader character does like come out and he's kind of like, you can kind of see his like uh, control and like power and stuff. So that was cool. But like until that, like watching, you know, that crew like stumble around the building is kind of not very, very fun. Not as fun as watching the guy with the big eyes, you know? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that's true. I, I found um, talking about, you know, parts that weren't as engaging was for me, definitely everything like, following the following the gang and following the civilians and stuff like yeah basically yeah. basically everything indoors um in the first two thirds like was just boring yeah i found that actually like extremely boring yeah 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 every time i was sitting with characters and there's a few scenes with like um i don't know like i don't know who they are important people governors or like detectives or whatever i don't know police people and i was like yeah all right <laughs> yeah well, I think oh, I saw a review saying like that Fritz Lang made like society the main protagonist, whatever. Like the whole, like yeah, that, like two thirds of the film mm-hmm. is basically set up where everyone in, the, in, in is like freaking out and like you're showing like the impacts he has on people, which I guess makes it kind of, uh, which I guess gives like context or I guess it makes it have gravitas. But I don't really. Mm. I don't know, it's interesting. I've never seen, like, a film do it like this, I guess, because usually it's just, like, some characters who have 
who are like compelled, you know, like to catch the killer or whatever. Right, right. But yeah, in this yeah. one, it's like the whole society is like bothered. You know, they're annoyed because it, it's they have to watch the children. They have to, yeah, they have to watch you know the streets and stuff, and yeah, all that. It, it really is. The film does very much position it as it's everyone versus Hans. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and that scene where he, uh, like, the one shock of the film was where he, like, goes in the tunnel and everyone is staring at him with a long pen. I thought that was pretty incredible, you know? Because, like, as you're saying, like, the film is so stable. The film is so, you know, still. And then you have, and and there's no shock. I mean, I thought this film was originally, originally I thought this film was going to be about uh, someone who was, wrongly accused of uh you know, being a child murderer or whatever and then he'd be like chased across all types of streets and it'd be kind of you know very suspense and it, it, it's really the opposite of that so like yeah. and when you get used to that and then get to that um tunnel it really is like a shock and i think that pan's really effective just seeing all the staring faces is like god damn like i smile i was like Talking about audible reactions from last week, that was had a one minute audible reaction. I was like, oh, that's cool. I love that. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool because it keeps going, and you're like, yeah. there's a lot of people in this room. Yeah. <laughs> so when's it going to end? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, on that, we've alluded to it as being our favorite part a few times, but in terms of the trial itself, it it really was really good. I think like it was the best third act I could have possibly hoped for. It, I don't even think it was that long though. Was it like, it was, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes. Um, yeah. It wasn't too long. Like I was looking at the runtime. It was kind of like, yeah, that was another thing. Cause like, I thought that would be extended kind of, like I said, extended kind of battle, I guess, between him and the, like they just kind of get him, And then I'm like, okay, what happens mm. now? So mm. yeah, it was kind of short, but it was, uh, yeah, it was really good. I mean, the defense lawyer kind of as well added a kind of interesting part to it. Totally, totally. How these guys, like, what actually are they, by the way? Are they a, they're a gang of criminals? That's sort of all I picked up on. But I think they're like a, bear, like a gang of robbers or something. Or like, yeah, like okay. an under, I guess they're like the under, what do you call it, the underbelly or the underworld? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, but are they, are they like a mob? <laughs> I guess, maybe. yeah, maybe, I guess so. Yeah. Well, maybe but that's then, like, also... Everyone was there, though. Like, everyone, like, it wasn't just, like, in that, uh, the people in the room for the trial, it wasn't just, like, you know, gang members or whatever. Like, all the women were there and the children. And, or, I don't yeah. know if the children were there, but, you know, like, got it, it felt club. like just random people just turned up to watch this. <laughs> yeah, got the whole club, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, maybe that, like, comes back to what Jade was saying earlier about like Nazis banning this because like the citizens are kind of led by this, this criminal, this criminal group. And like at the end, the trial is very, you know, illegal and very kind of wrong. Um, so mm. I guess maybe they thought the interpretation of society in this wasn't the best, but yeah. 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 That's true. Especially when like, I feel like the whole thing at the end is, it's presenting the audience with a question of or a question relating to justice and, you know, what should happen to um, Hans, you know, and sort of puts that in the audience's hands after, um, you know, after the defence lawyer's point and after, you know, the other counter arguments being made by the people in the crowd that, you know, 
you can't be let loose again and all this stuff. And then it sort of leaves it in the audience's hands, um, the question. And I don't know, maybe, yeah, maybe that's something that, you know, the Nazis don't want <laughs> is this idea of like, oh, uh, you know, justice can be, you know, so it's it, it maybe makes them feel weaker or something if, you know, justice isn't imposed by them. But like this idea that, yeah, the, the people bring it about themselves or whatever. Well, nobody likes uh, yeah. vigilantism. Well, sure, yeah, including the Nazis, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. But, yeah, the the defence lawyer was an interesting addition. I don't know, like, what do we – how do we feel about the whole dilemma at the end, I guess? I was sort of – I was picking up on themes of punishment versus rehabilitation and these different legal ideas and, you know, what's the purpose of incarceration and all this sort of stuff. Um, although, so I assume Germany at the time had the death penalty because there was never a question of he's going to prison, really. Yeah, there was. Because was they, were, they were like saying, like the whole debate in the room was kind of like, oh, he's going to get out after like 15 years and then I'll be on the street again, he'll be loose again. That's why they wanted to kill him. They were talking about oh, like, um, it, was, it was like if he gets sent to a sanitarium, you know, proves that he's better, then he's released on good behavior, like even earlier than that. Like a few months is what they even said, I think. Okay, I see, I see. So so at the end, um, him going to the real court in Germany, like he wasn't going to die no matter what at that point. Like well, if well so, th- so there is a death penalty? I'd assume there is. Okay, okay. So I guess what I'm trying to figure out is the, que- is the film sort of leaving us on that note of, you know, he, he's about to be sentenced. Like, is it leaving us on that note to have us ponder, should he die or not? Or is it? Is it? Is it? Are there more angles than that? Like, is it trying to? Is that it? Doesn't oh, like it's. It it just doesn't matter anymore. Like that's what the that's what the mothers say, right? No matter what happens, you know, who cares that their kid's dead? Like it doesn't matter what happens, mm. to him, you, know? Mm. you know. And like that's why, like uh, apparently, like in the German language version of the film, it ends with the mothers directly addressing the audience, like looking into the camera and saying, "Watch your oh, kid." Weird. Um, but in oh, the version weird. we watched, that that last line is cut. That's weird. Okay. I don't know. Okay, I didn't even view it that way at all. That's that's interesting. I was sort of thinking of it more as like a like a, a question that you, a philosophical question you wrestle with of like what should happen to him. You know, that's sort of how I was viewing the whole thing. Yeah, I think yeah, it was the idea a, that doesn't even matter. Yeah, interesting. yeah. I, I think it. I think it can be framed as that, but like, yeah, personally, I don't think it was. I think it was just it's, it's done. Yeah. I think the fact that we don't actually see the trial, but we just hear the mothers talking about it, kind of says to that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like sure. the public, the public, you know, gave their opinion. It doesn't matter what the courts say now, you know. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking about it, like, you know, is it a thing where, like, legally, could he? Is there grounds for him, you know, not being able to be tried for insanity and that sort of thing? You know, it's like so that, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was such Pretty. a modern conversation about like this whole, you know, make this mental illness appeal. Cause like, I know like, so, like the, the recent conjuring film did it and it's the first case in America where like they try to argue about the demons. But the fact that in this film, like the, the guy says, Oh, you're just going to try and do that thing where everyone, you know, does, Oh, I was insane and whatever. Mm. Like, the fact that it was common practice already, like blows my mind. The fact that like, yeah. you know, that there was so many kind of accounts like that's, that's nuts. Yeah, totally. And that's probably, I don't know, like, that's, that's more than likely, unless there's, I don't know, advancements in um, 
psychology and stuff that I can't even anticipate. I'd imagine it's probably still going to be a thing in 100 years, you know? Yeah, good. Nah, just kill them all. Damn. Wow. Yeah, I know. That's It's a tricky one. I appreciate that I, I'm always interested and fascinated by those ideas and the fact that, yeah, it's just – I totally agree. The fact that a film so long ago was playing with them already was cool. Well, you know, already. I'm sure, I'm sure people were questioning this stuff in like ancient Greece as well. But you know, it's just, it's just so interesting that like every other media we've consumed, like like Mindhunter especially, like it tells you that serial killers didn't really arrive until the sixties. You know, that's when serial killers were born. They quoted to Mindhunter. But then, like, if you you look at this movie and then you read the trivia about like all the cases that they that they were like um, studying for the film, like like there was shit tons of serial killers before that like, is in Germany alone. But like you know, like it's, mm-hmm. it's 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 interesting just seeing it, you know. The American perspective. Yeah. They're not serial if they're not American. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I thought the last line was kind of. You know, I don't want to say weak, but um, it was kind of. I don't know. I didn't really take anything from the last line, but I thought the trail itself was was pretty interesting. I thought like um, the acting from uh, the guy was pretty like convincing that he was actually kind of compelled, you know, to kill, um, which adds, like, an interesting angle, I guess. Like, I did kind of want to see him die. Like, I, I expected some violence, I guess, um, <laughs> which didn't happen. But, I mean, I guess that's good. I mean, I guess justice kind of prevailed, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Sure. I guess we didn't really figure out what happened. But Yeah, this film isn't violent at all, actually. That's a good point. Because I was, I was reading, hmm. you know, how it's, you know, considered sort of it was dark and edgy at the time and it was sort of like, wow, this is this is dangerous territory to be touching in cinema. And it's like, it's not violent at all. Like, it's only in its themes entirely. Like, there's really yeah. nothing to it. They don't even, they, yeah, they don't show, like, any gruesome no. killings or anything. All right, let's get to our final verdicts for M. Jaded. Yeah, I'll slap a seven on it. Like, um, I think it's very good, but, like, it's compared to, like, Mystery products of the period, it's the best I've seen compared to some other products of the period. It's pretty average. Um, just in terms of like engagement, I guess, as well. Like, don't get me wrong, I was also bored in it. Like, I don't think I acknowledge that, but like, yeah, I was bored of it during. Oh, you fell time. asleep, I think. Yeah, <laughs> that's my friend's <laughs> No, like, I fell asleep because it was like just stupid late when I was watching it. Not because, I mean, okay. yeah, but being bored probably helped with that too. Yeah, but um, seven still. Cool. Fitty. Um, I'll give it a six. I think that it is an impressive film, but yeah, most of it is pretty boring. So yeah, six out of ten. Yeah, yeah, I'll give it a, I don't know, I kind of came in with the intention of not rating it, to be honest, but then, I don't know, can I do that? Can I, no. can I establish those rules here? Um, <laughs> is that allowed? Um, I'll give it a six too, sure. Yeah, why not? I think that accurately describes my overall engagement in it, regardless of how I want to look at it, you know. Okay, let's get into news chat. There's a few things here. We got, of course, the news that apparently broke the internet. I saw someone said it broke the internet. I sort of took their word for it. I did watch the video, though. And that's uh, Deadpool 3 happening under Marvel Studios and uh, and and Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, he's there, which is a uh, pretty wild. Jade, does this piss you off at all after Logan? 
No. I like I don't I don't care about it really. Yeah, it is. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Does the idea of a road trip with Wolverine, Hugh Jackman, and Deadpool sound fun? Is that what the film is? I think so. Yeah, I don't. Like, I don't know if they've confirmed that. I think that's what was going around. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Either way, you can expect. Deadpool I mean, like stuff with. Yeah, Wolverine. like that Deadpool Wolverine pairing is like the kind of like iconic in the comics. I mean, like it's kind of bound to happen. Oh, so. okay. I didn't know that. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I was like, I mean, I think this is cool. I, I, I haven't even seen Deadpool too, so I don't really like care. But um, I my first thought was this takes away from Logan, in my opinion, a little bit. Like, it doesn't take away from that story, but I know, like, the significance of, you know, knowing that I'm watching Hugh Jackman's last performance as Wolverine in this story, I think does add to the film a little bit and did add to it when I was watching it. And I don't know, it's sort of, I mean, it's not a big deal, but it has an impact on it, in my opinion, anyway. Mm, is it, like, chronological? Chron- chronological? Is it after Logan? It's no, it's it's before Logan. Okay, right. Yeah, that would, that would, yeah, that would yeah. Make sense. So it doesn't break anything, but it's just more like I think it removes some. I don't know. Some, yeah, I think it's closure with Logan and Wolverine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a word I'm looking for, but I'm not finding it. I think everyone was like super excited by this news, and this is probably like the most <laughs> like whatever. I didn't like, watch your video. conversation. I haven't seen the video yeah. yet. Oh, okay. I just think it's like a fun the, video. If, there's the, two. The, the the appeal of Deadpool just wore off real quick. Like, it's still a fun kind of superhero product and stuff, but, like, it's not exactly like, you know, you're not getting stuff like that these days. Like, mm. first Deadpool 2016, you know, like it was, it was the first time you kind of had, like, this fun kind of movie in, like, that kind of genre, but, like, you can get plenty of similar stuff as well nowadays as well. Right, right. Breaking the fourth wall and challenging the conventions of the genre is something we've... It's not really a novelty anymore. I get that. I Deadpool get that. 2, I watched on an aeroplane, and that was a good aeroplane movie. Um, mm. I thought Deadpool 2 was better. I just than Deadpool can't one. stand the Kiwi kid in it. <laughs> oh, really? He sucks. There's just more characters in Deadpool 2. It's more fun. They just bring the whole squad, you know? They got time travel. They got fucking Josh Brown. Damn. I didn't know that was time travel. That's yeah. cool. Josh Brolin's like this cool guy. That's interesting. Damn, I have to watch this shit, man. No, you don't. Don't worry. It's fine. No. Okay. <laughs> That's the other thing. I don't know. I assume it's not in the MCU because they know they in the video they say that Logan's canon. Like Logan happens after this, so it's like like we know there's the Fox universe, obviously, that this is all takes place in. So it's like but it's a Marvel Studios pro. Like the Marvel Studios logo's in the in the logo. So it's like, I don't know. Maybe they do something in it to bridge the multiverses or some bullshit. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. With the multiverse open now, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't be surprised if it, like, the film is just, is what it is by itself in the Fox universe. Like, oh, they don't even, like, have to acknowledge that at all. That it, it just is what it is. And then, like, a post credit thing is, like, how it connects in, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what else we got? We got another franchise movie that we're going to have to be tackling in years to come if the show still exists, and that's because uh, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has been announced. It's a new part of the Apes film. It's going to start shooting pretty soon, and it uh, it's a sequel to War, which I was surprised. I saw this, and I sort of thought, I just sort of, in my mind, I'd always thought that trilogy was done, so I never, like, I thought they would, they would just reboot again, you know, or just do something different. Um, mm. 
but it's a sequel to War. Like apparently, like it's not obviously Caesar's not in it, uh, obviously, um, but set years in the future. I guess they have a kingdom now, Jaden. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, even the original Planet of the Apes, like um, I can't remember if it was the first two or the first three, but like um, at the end of the second or third one, it ends kind of resolutely. But then like they kind of, but then obviously there's another couple after that. So like it doesn't really surprise me that they're following that path where like, you know, it seems like you got a resolute ending, but then you open it up again. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm very keen for this. Um, it's from Wes Ball, which is kind of scary. Because I really like... Yeah, I was going to ask about him. I really like Scorch Trials. Not Scorch Trials. Death Cure. Like, I think Death Cure is actually an amazing film. Um, I love it to bits. Um, but, like, just with what the Maze Runner series is and the fact that that's his kind of main product that he's done, I don't want too many of those kind of traits coming into Planet mm. of the Apes. But, um, right, right. Yeah, we'll see. It doesn't give the enormous amount of confidence as a Matt Reeves successor, I guess. Yeah. But, I, I, like, you know, I love Death Cure, so maybe, like, hopefully, like, whatever he does bring to it is going to... Sure. All right. We're the Last of Us trailer. Um, oh, it's been a long time coming. Damn. Damn. Wow. Jade, what do you think? I don't watch it either. Really? Uh, I, I, it didn't even click what in my the mind. What kind were, of show we running here? I saw the new images and stuff and I was like, oh yeah, cool. But in my mind, I was like, oh yeah, there's no trailer. I don't know, yeah. Well, okay, all right, all right. Yeah, so the HBO show, there was a trailer and I, I liked it a lot. I thought it was cool. Um, it seems like it's uh, faithful in a lot of ways and expanding in a lot of ways as well, like glimpses at things that you can sort of piece some things together, but... Um, obviously some new additions and things they're adding here. Like there's glimpses in the trailer of what's clearly the prologue. Um, it looks really cool. And then there's some other, like other recognizable characters. We see, finally see, um, uh, what, oh my God, what's his name? Um, Nick Offerman as Bill in the trailer. Oh, I saw that um, picture. We see um, Storm Reid is playing Riley. So, you know, they're somehow going to tie in left behind into this, um, which is interesting. Um, probably through flashbacks and things, I imagine. So I don't know. There's a lot they're, they're playing with here, which is cool. Like I'm, I'm into the casting so far. It's sort of hard to say, but I mean, Pedro's a great actor. So I mean, I've got I've got total confidence in him. I'm sure Bella's great too. So uh, that's just one of those things. I'm just gonna have to see it to know. But I, I trust it at the moment. I've got nothing to suggest. I should doubt it really. Um, the prosthetics, the clickers look phenomenal. I think that was a lot of people's main takeaway with that shot of the clicker. Um, just looks sensational. So that was that was really cool. And the sound design on it was like spot on, um, totally authentic as well. So um, yeah, I think the the main thing the trailer was really missing for me to like everything I saw impressed me, and I'm totally going to watch it. But like um, the main thing it was missing to really, I think, just if it had it that little bit extra, like gut punch to it that, that would have got me like that extra level of hyped it was just missing gustavo's score i think like they used a licensed song um i didn't recognize the song but it, yeah like it worked it was cool um i didn't dislike it but um i just thought if that trailer had some of gustavo's score which we know is going to be in the show um it would have just had that extra level of like holy shit this shit's this shit's gonna be fire you know which it didn't really have but um but yeah, visually everything everything was cool, man. I'm into it. This is going to cool. be it's going to be a big show for me next year, so I'm I'm very excited. Do you reckon the show's going to have a photo mode? 
<laughs> I wish. That'd be awesome. That'd be great. Just take screenshots. That's the photo match. Yeah. Imagine yeah. if like movies were like pioneer like that kind of technology. Like, just. <laughs> well, it's like AR bullshit where you're like you're on the set, but somehow like. You know, it's not like oh, it generates like the rest of the environment. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's not like oh, and there's there's the cameraman, like there's the guy with the the boom <laughs> oh, mic. Yeah. Like you're not getting that shit in the image. Yeah, yeah. that'd be crazy. That'd be crazy. Hey, I mean, at the end of the day, for this trailer, I saw that there was a shot of goddamn Joel and Ellie riding on a horse, and I'm like, yeah, dude, looks cool. You know. <laughs> Uh, now it's time for our highlights of the week. Uh, Jaden, do you want to do this? Do you uh, have you got something? Um, I watched this much I know to be true, which is uh, the the Nick Cave documentary from this year by Andrew Dominic. Um, it's the second time they work they worked together. They they also did a documentary about him back in twenty sixteen. I think it was. It's just really interesting. Uh, like uh, like uh, I'm not sure how many times I've I've mentioned Nick Cave on the show now, but like is. I th- like I think in the in the realm of celebrities and just like kind of famous figures, he's the only person that I think I unreservedly respect, and I will always listen to his opinion, and I will actually idolize. You know, I don't make idols of people often because you know they're all actually crazy, and there's always like a downside to them. But like I, I will stand by that. I will, I will listen to everything that he has that Nick Cave has to say. I think he's phenomenal, and this 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 this, this film is phenomenal as well. Um, Cave is just such an interesting figure, and I think his his music is just just fucking you know, just seminal, really. Um, and like this this documentary, as much as it is a documentary about him, it is also just like essentially just like a glorified kind of like live kind of album shoot where like they kind of go through songs from two of his albums of Carnage and um Ghost Town, I think. Um, and like the way that each each song is shot, like in this like small in, in this like studio space. Like like I don't know more stage space. Um, it looks fantastic for like for something like close to like one room, like the like the light rigging and like the kind of just like the way the camera like kind of tracks and just goes around. It's phenomenal. But also just the small insights into Cave are, are fantastic. And like um, in in the first documentary, you're told that Cave is reeling from a personal tragedy, but the the tragedy is ever mentioned. But um, everyone knows that that knows Cave is that is it was the death of his son. So like that film is incredibly depressing as he kind of navigates that thing through his music. Um, whereas this one's like a bit more on the up and up. Well, like, like um, he's he's it's not happy or anything, but like it's 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 past that part, and it's like he, it's him talking about the way like because in this he he does express you know how faith has helped him through it, and it's really interesting seeing like the way his kind of comments on things have changed the years because like he's, he's he, in the past like i've read about like how his his descriptions of, of 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 like religion and stuff like he calls himself a religious man but he doesn't believe in the way that typical people believe and stuff but like seeing the way that his ideas have changed post tragedy is is is, is, re- is really fascinating and like I, th- I think nick cave will always be interesting i think he's one of australia's most important figures um it, uh, yeah, it's like it's really phenomenal. Um, yeah, that's great. I, I I feel like forgive me for my dementia, Janice. I feel like we've talked about this five times, but isn't Andrew Dominique that name rings a bell? Like isn't, the assassination isn't of Jesse James. 
Yes, and then but there wasn't there something else recently? Um, isn't directed. Yes, yes. Oh my god! And you watched that too. That's right. Okay, yeah. it's all coming together. In my and brain. okay, so like they're actually I like see. collaborators. Like Dominic's uh, New Zealand, a Kiwi, and yeah. it's like Nick Cave has did the score for Jesse James. He did the score for Blonde. He's obviously right. done these two films with him now. Like they do work together often. I see. Okay. Okay. And wait, what's this documentary on? Movie. What the fuck is that? <laughs> it's a it's a streaming service for kino files um, because it shows art house films and shit like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, oh, it's for cool. it's for wankers essentially. Gotcha. Well put. Well put. Yeah. Okay. Very good. I I watched Ozark. I finished Ozark. Finally, I just feel like I need to I need to talk about it to like. There's a bit of therapy for myself after I feel like I've been watching this show for 50 years. Um, and it was it was good. It was good. Like, I don't – I don't know. It's not – this isn't top-tier television. Like, to be honest, throughout its runtime – and this has happened the years it's been on as well, like not just now, but um, everyone's always said, oh, yeah, Ozark, oh, yeah, it's just basically Breaking Bad. And every time someone says that, I, like, actually get personally offended that someone would compare this to Breaking Bad because it's like not even – first of all, like I don't even think they're that similar. Like I don't know. They're similar in like maybe if you were to try and simplify each plot into one sentence maybe. But I don't know. They're not different. They're not similar um, feeling shows at all. And I don't know, like Breaking Bad's like it's like light years ahead of it. Um, but so, so it's sort of a show like I would recommend necessarily. I, I don't think this is – in the conversation of like, you know, best dramas and best shows getting nominated for Emmys and stuff. Like this isn't one where I'm like, dude, you got to watch Ozark. It's incredible. Like it, it's not that, but um, it, it's played by some of the same issues throughout its run of, you know, um, sort of weird plot decisions. And there's always story choices that you question all the time. It's like, I don't know, are we really going in this direction? Um, but the things that stay strong about it, are, you know, it's performances are phenomenal, really. Not, not even, it's characters often aren't uh, sort of a bit iffy at times just with some decisions they make and stuff. It sort of just feels weird, but um, performances are really good. I love the setting. I love the look of the show. Like it's the most blue show I've ever seen, but I feel like it really adds to the atmosphere of it. Um, Is it more so, blue than the Bourne segments in Ocean's 12? <laughs> it's just, no, it's Ocean's not 13. that blue. It's not that blue. Um, the only thing that rivals it in blueness is probably The Handmaid's Tale, and that shows blue for no reason. Uh, it's really annoying. But, um, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Like, it's not an easy recommendation, Ozark, but I don't regret watching it. Like, it, it, it ended up being solid. And I think my main takeaway from the final season was how it was a weirdly structured season. There were 14 episodes. They were released um, in two parts, but, like, if someone didn't watch them as they were coming out, it sort of just felt like a big 14-episode, like, never-ending season. So uh, there was so there were a few times as I was watching this final season where I'm like, "Oh, this has gone off the rails!" Like th- this story is like, "What are they doing? Don't don't do this!" And every time I thought that, like I'll give them credit, there were things I wouldn't have done. But every single time I was like, "You came back! Like that was okay. You didn't end up totally blowing it. Like that never happened. Like even the ending was like the perfect example of that. Where I was like, "Okay, don't know if I would have done that. Definitely not." top tier television but i don't know an episode ago i thought this was going to be terrible and this and you sort of brought it back so i'm like yeah, okay and that was sort of the main takeaway from all of it i think um i think it just overall just totally does a lot right but fails to build tension across episodes um 
which is something that you sort of want TV shows to do. There was nothing propelling you through the season, I think, like which was the weird part about it. Even though scene by scene, it's very high quality. But um, like, for example, I, I think I was joking about this with my dad. Like you watch the second last episode of the show and the second last episode of the show, when it cuts to credits, you, someone could have told me that this show's got five seasons left. I'd be like, oh, yeah. Oh, but no, uh, there's actually got one episode left. And it just didn't feel like at, there was zero sense in the momentum of the story that this was coming to an end, um, which was sort of an issue. But yeah, I don't know. It was good. Pitsy, what about you? Um, I don't know. What did you guys want me to... I got a few things. Oh, Jesus. American Made. Tom Cruise. American Made? <laughs> um, I could talk about that. Um... American Made is Tom Cruise's best comedic performance. It's absolutely hilarious. He's this all-American guy, as you'd, um, as the title suggests, and he's really. I laughed a lot. It was, he's really funny. He's like um, the most. Like, he goes into all these like dangerous situations, like drug trafficking and like working for this shady CIA guy, Dom Dom Hoggleson. Um, and he just goes in with like a kind of gung ho like attitude, and it's really fun. Like the whole movie is, I think it's a great comedy, and it's kind of very like rise and fally kind of, um, you know, that kind of traditional trajectory. But it is mm. very fun. This is a Doug Liman film, isn't it? Yes, you've seen okay. it, I think. Yeah, yeah, I have seen it. Yeah, I just didn't remember. But for you, going back to the age old question, I guess taking it from your, your impression of the comedy in it, like where does it sit for you with Tom Cruise's performances feeling different? <laughs> this feels very different. Like it's very, like I wrote this review, like it's, like it's very relaxed in this film. It's very loose. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's not like, you know, level 100 intensity in this film. But like he's, he's, he's a kind of relatable kind of guy. It just kind of gets put into these situations. He's like, fuck yeah, let's go. <laughs> you know, he kind of just says yes to everything because he like likes the adventure. But he's like not – he's he's like a crazy character, but he's still relatable to some, to some degree, you know? Yeah. Yeah. As always, it's time to hand the show over to you with our question of the show. Last week we asked you – what is the best black and white film? Um, who we got? Wait, John? what was Andy's review of M? What was that? He told me. So he told me not to read it. Okay. He That's said strange. not to read it, but we did bring it up a few times. Um, I wanted to give it its respect, you know. Um, he gave it a nine out of ten. By the way, just just you know, this, this, sure, this, sure. We, Do you want me to read it now? Just quickly read it. I'll quickly read it. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> no. Um. God, actually, I, I shouldn't make jokes about that because Andy's question of the show is super long. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, let's get started. Jai said, The Dark Knight. Uh, Luke said, Just to make Jade and cream his pants, I'll say all quiet on the Western Front. And then I'm going to scroll down. I appreciate down that cause... he wants me to cream my pants. Yeah, and then that get into a whole thing on the Discord about uh, that as a subplot, I guess. Um, Luke then also says, On the Waterfront is a good shout as well. Tag that onto my answer, please, Zach. Maybe Jaden can arrange some authentic uh, blowhorn chip sounds for the segue between segments. <laughs> um, I won't be arranging it, but yeah. Uh, okay. Andy 
needed two or three days to come back with an answer, and he's come back with it. Um, I'm going to have to create a separate timestamp just for his answer. Okay, so everyone on the YouTube version, feel free to skip it. No offense, Andy, but you know, I just have to. I'm the host here. I have to make decisions like that. Uh, Andy said, "Plenty of stunning choices when it comes to black and white films, especially some of my, oh god, uh, um, Berg. I don't know Bergman's films, which deserve an honourable mention." I like the way his films are lit and shot in black and white, are absolutely gorgeous and reflect strongly with the characters that he writes. A man that understands the black and white language through mood and atmosphere. Anyways, this apparently took me two days to decide, but ultimately it was an easy choice. God, all right. Uh, My favourite black and white film of all time as of now is Francois Truffaut's Truffaut's film uh, The 400 Blows is what it's called. I get this is probably the most basic French New Wave film there is because almost everyone will say that it is the best film in that movement. And why wouldn't it be? It's pretty hard to ignore how beautiful The 400 Blows is. Antoine Doinel is arguably the most charming, mischievous, innocent, and misunderstand and misunderstood main character there is. Uh, it just feels right that there is childhood needed to be perfectly portrayed in black and white. That his, I'm sorry, that his childhood needed to be perfectly portrayed in black and white. An absolute masterpiece. Hopefully Zach didn't have a hard time pronouncing those names. Yeah, uh, which I shall apologize in advance. Thanks, Andy. God, he just knows me so well. Um, if we're looking at it from a modern scope, I would dare say Francis Ha, directed by, oh, that's the name of the film, okay, directed by Noah Bombach. I always say he's, God, help me, uh, which I have mentioned once again for this segment. It simply feels timeless the way black and white is shot and only with a consumer-level DSLR camera as well, something that is usually convenient for peasants like us. Me choosing a modern black and white film might enable someone to choose Malcolm and Marie as their favourite, so yeah, I can respect that option any time of the day. It was also my prediction for Zach's answer because it's weak. I'm sure hardcore fans of On the, on the Waterfront would agree with me on that. <sighs> Deep breath, okay. I'm just recovering, guys. Sorry. Viti had to duck out. I have to take a breath. Thank you for <laughs> writing readjust Andy. my clothes. <laughs> Recalibrate. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for writing in, Andy. And, Andy, your prediction, may I say, of Malcolm and Marie being my favorite black and white film is completely correct. No, it's not. I'm joking. It's, not. it's probably, I don't know, out of like the six I've seen, uh, it's probably ranks in the top three, I guess. My answer is 12 Angry Men because it's awesome. Totally rules. I, I thought it was totally awesome when we, we watched it in the legal some years ago. Um, understand you can understand why, I'm sure. And um I really enjoyed it then. But it was one of those things where it was like I don't know, I wasn't really viewing it through the lens of like because I didn't put it on at home because um I, I, I didn't still don't really know anything about films of that era. I was sort of more I enjoyed it through the lens of it being a film you watch at school, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like that's almost a different scale of enjoyment where like, oh, this is in front of me in class and I'm forced to watch it. How much do I enjoy it with that in mind, you know? So then when, I think it was last year, I actually watched it at home by my own accord and just to see how, try and look at it differently, look at it more critically and to see how much it actually connected with me in a different setting. And um, I thought it totally ruled as well. I thought, I love it. I think it's awesome. Fantastic film. So that only cemented it for me as as a fantastic movie. Yeah, Jaden, was this was this how hard was this for you? Like, how many options did you have to go it's, through? Uh, it's super hard. 
I like I've got four potentials sitting open next to me, and I'm like, c- c- like I, 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 like I love these films for so many different reasons. Um, but I think I will look. All right, so all quite on the Western Front is the obvious answer. Luke, 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 Luke got that for me. Fine, fair enough. But I think I will say that Lahane, <laughs> Lahane, Lahane. Um, whatever it is, um, light motif, light motif. What? Yeah, shut up. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's, it's a it's a it's a French film from like '95, starring Vincent Cassel, and it's just kind of about I don't know, just it's just about youth and just you know going up on the projects board and you know finding something to do. It's just phenomenal. I know Liam disagrees to an extent. What? Yeah, to seven. Oh, like, like I'm not, I'm, talking, I'm talking about the, like through the lens of a ten. I know you like it, but I'm talking about through the lens of a ten. Probably like, it is just to be fair, but okay. <laughs> Sorry, I um, to it is it, it's just phenomenal. It just sticks it like um, like it's just I, I I can't even really describe it and talk about it. It's just, and just like the 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 feeling it crafts and the feeling it reflects is just I don't know. It's just easily it, just identifiable and just relatable and just kind of but you know simultaneously very alien. Um, uh, the performances are amazing and the story is fantastic and just gut-wrenching as well. Um, I don't know. Like, like it's, it's something that, that is always on my mind, honestly. Like, like, like there's this one shot of these guys walking down the street and, and there's, there's a billboard and it's, and there's like, a, there's a, there's a picture of the world on it. And it says, um, it says the world is yours or something like that. I think in, in French, um, and one of the guys, he 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 crosses it out and says, "The world is ours," and it, it's just so simple and fucking just fantastic and just amazing. Um, but like, just like through like a shit, something like something says like that is just stuck with me. And like the opening monologue about like this guy's falling and he he doesn't know when he's gonna end. Like it, it's just, it's just like like what like what it does is just fucking amazing. Um, yeah. What about so? How did it communicate the sign change to you? Like, was it a subtitle thing? Yeah, so, like, all, all you have to do to change yours to ours in French is cross out one letter and change it. Um, so the, the start of the, mm. it's just, like, it is just the subtitles changing. That's so, convenient. Oh. Yeah. That you have to cross out one letter in each language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. good, very good. Liam, what about you? I think my favourite black and white film is Das Weisse Band, which is... The white ribbon. Holy shit! Um, that sound, I, I don't know, but that sounded like perfect pronunciation. Yeah, I looked it up. I looked up what you were trying to look. Uh, yeah, this is a better black and white German film about child abuse than uh than M. Yeah, um, but it's 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 about pre World War Two Germany. It's kind of about the so it's just follows like this village. Um, and it's kind of about the culture which kind of created, uh, like the Nazis, I guess, or the kind of, it's, it's just the vibe of, uh, the Germans before World War II, what kind of led into that. And it's like, uh, it's a very like violent, not violent, it's very gruesome kind of film, very disturbing. Um, and it follows kind of these random crimes that happen in this village to the, the adults and you kind of. I guess that's a mystery. You kind of try and figure out who it is, um, and like, there's all this kind of all this kind of resentment in this community and like bitterness, and um, 
as the film goes on, you kind of get more, more and more of a holistic picture of the whole village. Like you kind of follow all these characters. Um, but there's like this good guy teacher that kind of like centers, centers the whole film, I guess you kind of see him through, through his perspective. Um, but the film is like, the film is just like gorgeous. It is like amazingly shot. Um, it's shot by Marco Haneke, who is great. Just great, great, great French director. Um, it's um, like the lighting in the film is like, I think it's like all natural lighting or some shit. Um, it's a really incredible looking f- film. Um, and it's like, it's a really shocking film as well. Yeah. Some might call it like, you know, misery porn or whatever, but I think it's really genuinely really great. So, yeah. Films that people call misery porn so rarely are misery porn. It's just that they can't handle it. Like, you know, like it's just. Yeah. Yeah. Most films. I, yeah. I like misery porn films usually. Yeah. Just love feeling shit about yourself. Yeah. I like feeling that the world is bad. Yeah. All right. Uh, as always, we'd love you to submit your questions, thoughts, reviews for next week's film in the YouTube comments section. Send us a DM on Instagram or join the Discord this week. Oh, Fizzy doesn't know this yet. <laughs> We're asking you, what is your favourite musical instrument? Let us know. Oh, that's pretty good. That's nice. <laughs> but yeah, it just drains on the others for it. That's actually really great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's it for this week's episode of Cinema Effect. Fitzy, what are we doing next week? We're doing the piano. The piano. Uh, it's a New Zealand film. It's on, on Stan. It's by the director of The Power of the Dog. Uh, Jane Campion. Are you trying and, to speak any Kiwi accent right now? Is that what you're doing? No. no. <laughs> it's like it came across like that. No, I did it. That's funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's got some big stars. I guess, is this a popular film? I don't know. It's kind of come to my radar recently, but I didn't, I haven't really, I don't know. It's interesting. I oh, it won, it won, I want to think, it won like the Khan or something. Khan oh, okay. I don't know. It won, it won okay. something. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, it's just on Stan, so, yeah. Check it out on Stan. Very good. Support our beloved Stan. All right. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in once again. Thanks, Jade and Liam, for joining me as always. We'll see you all next time. Take care and goodbye.